This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Make sure that you price it properly. You know, it's not a charity that you're running. I mean, price it properly. There's no, I've, I've seen people who, I don't know, like knit a cardigan and they take I don't know, seven days of eight hours, so that's what, 50 plus hours to make the cardigan. And then they're going to sell it something like, what, 50 pounds? And you think, hang on, does that even cover the price of the wool? That was just a snippet from this week's guest, Catherine Marsh. Catherine helps people feel and look fabulously stylish and happy by creating timeless tokens of love. Her fine jewellery is ethically handmade in London with recycled silver and gold and infused with a French chic twist. We had a great chat touching on all kinds of things, including how Catherine makes her unique jewellery and her take on how to price your products. This was a fantastic conversation and I can't wait to introduce you to Catherine. So hi Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Hello Vicky, how are you today? Really good, thank you, and I hope you are too. It's so nice to be able to see you through the power of Zoom. I do like that I can see people's faces. I agree. <laughs> so can we please start by are you telling us about your business and what it is that you sell, please? And actually what it is that you make, because I know that you actually hand make all of your products. So hi, my name is Catherine, Catherine Marché, and I hand make a fine jewellery in precious metals, um, gold and silver. And I tend to use recycled metals because I want to help uh, safeguard the environment and the planet. So I use uh, gold and silver, which has been recycled uh, locally in London, where I live. Or I melt uh, old um, jewelry myself and recycle it myself. Oh, wow. Well. Um, yeah, I, I might start there then. How, how do you do you melt down old jewelry is that like do you need like special equipment for that that sounds yes yes yeah. yes you need a torch um and also something called boric acid <laughs> I want to be technical <laughs> but no basically you you apply a lot of heat until the metal becomes liquid and then you're going to pour it into um a kind of um i don't know a frame i would say made of metal or charcoal to give it a little bit of a shape you can start working from. And then you're going to either transform it as a sheet of metal or as a rod, like for example, I have one there. 
no where's the camera yeah so that's okay. the gold which has been recycled from rings old rings and it's going to become another band another wedding band oh that's amazing so how did you well yeah two things really one is how did you learn to do all of this because it sounds absolutely fascinating and yeah let's start there how did you learn to do all of this uh, I had to go to school again. <laughs> uh, well, first I was in classes to see um, if, I, if it's something that could you know, interest me. And then I decided to go for a degree. So I went back to college, um, trained, uh, took several years to learn. And I think I still haven't finished learning because it's such a vast domain that you can keep learning all your life. New techniques, new new ways of doing something yeah so it's quite interesting in that aspect yeah I'm sure I'm sure it is and as you say you must just be able to continually hone your skills learn new skills so what was it so first of all how long ago was it that you went back to college and and started learning how to how to do this oh it was about 16 years ago okay and what was the inspiration for deciding to do that what had you been doing up until that point I was in IT so I was working with computers, I mean, on the programming side, managing projects and um, to make programs and softwares for big companies and also working as a, um, how do you call it, a consultant, IT consultant, information technology. And um, I quite enjoyed it, but I always also had a creative side. So while I had been working um, in the city. I also went to art classes. Um, I also did etching, painting, engraving. I mean, quite a lot of different things. And um, I always had these two sides. But then um, I wanted to, to have a family. And uh, the problem with IT is that I was working very long hours. Sometimes, you know, finishing at 11 p.m. or being called in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. if there was a problem with something or having to work at the weekends. And I thought that it wasn't really compatible with having young children. So I was trying to see what else I could do. And one thing that I never had enough and I was commissioning was jewelry. And I thought maybe instead of commissioning it, I should just learn how to make it myself. And that's kind of how I got started. And so, um, so when you got yeah. started, did you intend that it would become a business and, you know, you would sell your pieces or was it something you planned to do just for yourself? Right at the outset? I think, I think no, no, it, I didn't. It was completely, um, it just happened. Um, I enrolled in a class, I thought it was fun. Um, some of the things I was making in the class really was a my test because we were following the teacher's guidelines. And then I put them on for sale on Etsy and it sold. And with the money, I paid for more classes. And basically, that's how I funded all my training. Like I was making something which I was selling and then with the money, I would buy some tools or I would get onto more training. Um, so, no, it just happened. And then when I decided to go for the degree, I think I thought that actually, since I had started to sell things, I should the skills so that's why then I went there and I also took a little business class as well 
So it sounds like initially you were just selling sort of one-off pieces on Etsy, but now obviously yeah. you have a quite a large store. And am I right in thinking your designs are also in Hatton Gardens as well and some, a few other places? So how did you go from selling the odds piece on Etsy to where you are now? I know it's been 16 years, so I know it's going to be quite a journey. Good I know question. that hasn't happened overnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how? Good question. I think that uh, I entered a few awards. I won some. So maybe the, I started to get some press coverage. I think that probably helped as well. Um, and I knocked on doors. I think I just thought, you know, nobody is going to come and find me. So I just asked, uh, would you like to, to stop my work? The worst that can happen is that they say no. <laughs> So, you know, well, that's great. And I think probably, as you said, you've been doing this for 16 years now, which is a long time. Um, So, yeah, no wonder you probably can't remember exactly how you got from there to here. I'm not sure I remember my life 16 years ago that clearly either um but I think yeah just I guess it's partly carrying on doing what you've been doing and it sounds like you're continually learning and improving what you're doing and I've had a look at your pieces and they're so original and beautiful oh thank you um yeah and I guess there is something to be said of just doing just doing it so which one is your favorite I like I can't remember what you call the range with the flowers bloom Yes, yes. Yeah, I really like the, the rings with the, made from the different metals with the flowers that you can stack. Those I thought were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And very sim- simple but beautiful, which is kind of like my style. I don't like things very um, too big or no, too I'm, much. I, I, I like to keep it simple personally as well. Um, I think if it's too elaborate, it's not something that I would personally wear too often. So, and also I think that when something is simple, you can then combine it with all those items you already have more easily. Yeah, I did like that your jewellery looks really wearable, if that makes sense. Because not all jewellery, for me, is, you know, when you're, especially, you're a mum and you have all these other things. I don't don't know, some jewellery just feels like it would sit in a box all of the time because you'd think, oh, where, where will I wear that? So, yeah, I like that your designs are so wearable. I can imagine you could just wear them all day every day and they just go with all your outfits which I think is really nice so where do you find the inspiration for your jewelry I'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) I think I think it's a mix a mix of um you know drawing from my own experiences from my travels from my culture um Sometimes it can be as simple as oh I like this stone what could I do with it (laughs) or "Mm, I have a an event to go to and I want to wear that dress, um, what would be nice with that kind of dress. Um, I'm afraid I'm not really somebody who's going to look at a, at a building and see, see inspiration like that or, you know, looking at a cloud or something. It just, I think it's more spontaneous for me. Um, yeah. I think it's quite spontaneous. It's, it's more of, maybe I'm more tactile and sometimes just by touching things and playing around with them, design goosebumps. But I'm saying that, mind you, I do have sketchbooks, which are full of designs as well. But I'm not completely sure where they come from. No, I, just I, think, I think sometimes it's just, you know, you're on the phone and you, you sketch 
I mean, and, and then you look, I look at what I've done, I thought, oh, yeah, why not? Uh, but uh, I think it's more absent-minded. I don't know. Where does it come from? Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I just wondered whether it was sort of, you know, you made pieces that you would like to wear yourself that others like, or whether, I mean, do people, I know you do um, bespoke designs as well, don't you? So, so you have, so I guess clients also tell you exactly what they would like. Yeah. I've got both, yeah, that's true. But in a way, I think that the clients who come to me come to me because they like my style already. So then the commissions I work on are not that far removed from my own um, aesthetics, I would say. Yeah, that's interesting. But I suppose that makes sense that you'd have to like somebody's style to think that that would suit you. That does make sense. So you mentioned that right at the beginning when you decided to take your degree, you took a business course as well. So was that at the stage where you were thinking, actually, I could build a business around this? The th- yes, I know. The thing is that it wasn't a business course as such as business. It was really something for jewelers. Okay. So it was more about how to price your items, um, how to you know keep track of your stock, or how to do a sell and return agreement, or your terms and conditions. I mean, really more practical. I wish I had an MBA. <laughs> that would be easier, I think. But uh, no, it was uh, something that I found at London College of Fashion. So I think it was more tailored for creative people. Okay. And you mentioned that at the beginning you were selling pieces on Etsy. And I feel like mm-hmm. Etsy must have just been around then as well. It Was it quite new? Yes, that? it was quite new. I think it was two years old. Oh, wow. Well, not two years old. I even, at the time, had, uh, I think it was lunch or dinner with uh, one of the founders. Because at the time, you know, as it was quite small, they wanted input from people in London and... Uh, it was it was completely different from now i think because um there's been a change they're more commercial now um but before that it was more focused on handmade and creations yeah again i guess as well there's a lot more sellers on there now than there were 16 years ago um and as you say i've definitely seen a change in the products that are sold there there are still there are still a lot of handmade but there were also products that you know you know maybe they've been printed or they're digital products that haven't necessarily been made by hand. and do you still sell there now out of interest i have a few items there yes and but do most of your sales come through your website yes mainly from my website and also from um, the, the showroom. So that your, is that the showroom in the Oxo Tower? Yeah. Okay, so we'll come to that in a Although second. I, okay. No, no, oh no, go, carry, go, go with what no, you're saying. I was saying. just going to say I don't that, that um, no, I was just going to say that because of all the, you know, COVID um, issues, I think the, 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 the workshop is going to the workshop, the showroom is going to be a bit more quiet. You yes. have less visitors, definitely. So has your workshop still been open throughout the pandemic? Did you um, have to close a while? I had to close, yeah. During the lockdown, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so, and since you've opened up again, um, are you still getting visitors that are coming to see you there? Or has it gone down a I bit? try to arrange visits um, outside of the workshop, I prefer to meet them at the showroom 
because there are more space so therefore you can respect the social distancing much better yeah Yeah. oh okay so the workshop and the showroom separate locations yeah oh okay i mean the showroom does have a tiny bench and you can do a little bit of work there it doesn't have all the tools and the machinery and i imagine you've got a lot of tools and machinery as well especially if you're you know repurposing existing jewelry yeah that must that must involve a lot define a lot (laughs) (laughs) well that's true there's probably no 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 but it's true yes i do i do have some equipment and so where and i've gone completely off track from what i was going to ask you but where do you get find the jewelry to if you're sort of using um existing gold for example how do you find that to make into your pieces Uh, at the moment most of it was coming from the clients okay so sometimes um it has happened that uh, they wanted me to reuse the gold that they had in their family to make something for them so i use their gold some of the times um some people have jewelry they really do not like anymore and so um it's part of the payment okay well that's interesting and so coming back to when you first started so you sold a few pieces on etsy and then you did your degree at what point did you think actually i'm going to set up a website and i'm going to make a business out of this i think i did the website at the almost at the same time because okay. i mean i was in it so the website was like easy peasy oh, I, just <laughs> make, <laughs> I just make a website that's true um, actually for so many people the website's a really big deal but for you i imagine it was yeah just an afternoon well, well the thing is that it, it, it's also about mathematics we just think okay what do i do do i have my items um in a place with five hundred thousand other people um which means that's what happened to me a few times that you know you send people to the etsy shop and then they're really happy to tell you that they've bought something because they think that they bought from you but in a, they end up buying from another seller on the same platform okay because they don't realize that everything is mixed together that's true and i think now probably people are a bit more savvy with that because we're more used to online marketplaces but yet back then actually 16 years ago yeah i can imagine that that would it was quite a new concept wasn't it actually marketplaces with yes yes sellers yeah it's true i mean there, there was some in germany some in france one in the us there wasn't much in the uk i think at the time um but i think also the other thing is that if you have your own website you don't have to pay a third-party commission to another company you know like in a shop or another platform yeah and and you have complete control as well i mean i i would yeah i suggest to people even now that it doesn't matter where you're going to sell even if you think your whole business will be on etsy it's a good idea still to have some kind of web presence just so people know they're buying from you but the other thing is that uh with the etsy terms and conditions you're not allowed to contact the clients again so it's it's hard to have a relationship with them yeah and that, that makes which, sense which is why if you have them on your own website then it's easier if you want to send them some news or invite them to an event or you know you have a special sale for them or something 
Yeah, exactly. You can sort of you own the customer, which I think is the case on most online marketplaces now. Is this you've got no idea who's buying from you. You might have a postal address or something, but you don't have permission to contact that person ever again. No, because there's the GDPR as well. Yes, and a so, lot. Uh, do you get repeat customers? Do you get people that are delighted with something you've made for you and then come back again? Yeah, I have a few. Yeah, so I can imagine that, that if you find someone that you like, especially with bespoke pieces, that you might come back or you'd recommend to a friend, say, yeah, I think it's really nice if you can have a relationship with people and they know that it's you they're buying from. Mm. makes such a difference. So in terms of where else, so you sell, um, obviously, still a little bit on Etsy and your own website. So where else can people go and buy your products? So you mentioned the showroom, which is in the, in the Yoxo Tower. So where mm-hmm. else can people buy your products at the moment? Uh, well, with the pandemic, I have to say that most uh, stockists, um, quite yeah, they, they closed down. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, because they were se- several of them were not able to sustain the costs of um, keeping their gallery. So I, I am on several online websites now. Um, there's one in France, um, and then. A few are in the UK, like Sikt. Um, there's Electric Artisan. Um, there is also another one called Aureus Boutique, and one which is also only, um, what I like with these is also that a lot of them only focused on um, sustainable ethical jewelry, like just exquisite jewelry. Or... So, yes, I'm on a few places like that to help people find me. <laughs> But it sounds like it's really changed then over the last six months. So we're recording this for context and um, for people listening, we're recording this in the middle of October. So it sounds like in the last six months, it's really changed a lot for you. Yes, not just me, I think. I think oh, probably yeah. a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of people who had things in shops. Um, I mean, for example, in the Oxo Tower, where we have a showroom, um, I would say since March, probably four or five businesses closed down. That's such a shame. quite a lot. Yeah. And I think there might be more coming. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it's quite shocking. Actually. It's very difficult because on one hand, you know, you know people, um, they need jewelry. They need arts and crafts and, you know, everybody needs something nice in their life to feel good or to, to, to have a nice surroundings. But um, it, it is difficult if you are, you know, um, a business, a local business to, to have the clients come to you when the physical places don't trade anymore. So... Yeah, you have to go to more online places, I guess. I've seen a lot of people try to do events on places like Instagram. I don't know if it works or not. I hope it does for them. Um, But a lot of people don't do online. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are more people moving online, though, because as you say, that's for some people, that's probably the only option now. Yeah. So have you had to do anything differently since the pandemic? I wear a mask. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In terms I wash of, my hand yeah. 500,000 times. <laughs> um, 
Yes, yes, yes. The thing is, uh, for example, I mean, it's just little things like um, you're used to go to a specific place, for example, to to have your stones set in a ring. If it's something very specific, like a pavé setting, for example. Uh, but um, quite a few of the stone setters were not able to keep their workshop in Hatton Garden. So you have to allow much more time for every jury commission that you work on because something that would take maybe, I don't know, five days now will take 15 days because you have to find if the person is still trading, see where they are, see how you can get the work there, then has to come back to you. And um, even things like having your work assayed, um, the service operates, you know, reduced hours. So you have to change the way you organize your day in order to go exactly during these limited hours in that place. But another shop has other limited hours. So the gemstone dealer, you have to do it at another moment. I mean, you do have to adapt definitely to that. And also the other thing is I do not want to take public transport um, when it's busy. So um, my day is going to be shrinked right in the middle outside of rush hours. So yeah, I think you have to you know, take precautions because the last thing you want is one, to get sick, but you don't want to pass it to anyone. You don't want to, to be the person who's going to spread you know, um, the virus because you've been careless. So you have to take special care of everything, every stage of the jewelry making as well. Or if you have a meeting with somebody, you both wear masks, you disinfect, you know, the, the jewel before, after. I mean, yeah. Yeah, everything's a lot more difficult now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's um yeah let's let's bring things up a bit and and talk about something some more positive. So I'd love to know some of the things that you love about your business. So whether that's around the creative side or the business side, um, let's talk about some of the things that you enjoy. I enjoy meeting clients. I really like um, being part of their love story in a way, or helping them find something they love. I don't know whether it's a pair of earrings or some special jewelry with uh, emotional uh, content. I think it, it, it's really, yeah, a blessing to, to have the chance to, to help with that. Knowing that something you make, you know, might pass on generations or is, is going to celebrate a birth uh, a christening, uh, I don't know, an anniversary uh, or a graduation. Yeah, it's really special. And I enjoy that bit. Definitely. That is lovely. And you mentioned at the beginning that one of the things that sort of prompted you to move from your IT career was starting a family. So has that worked as you've expected? Has this business worked around your family life in the way that you thought it might? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> so yes, I, yeah, I've been able to tailor my days to um, the kids' schedules, especially when they were little, um, and breastfeeding, you know, things like that. And um, being able to go to the parent-teachers' meetings or 
but then I find that it's very difficult when you have your own business to have boundaries between your life and business. So there has been some encroachment. <laughs> you know, sometimes I would check my emails on the Sunday when I'm not supposed to check my email on the Sunday because Sunday is a weekend. So, so I think you have to really be self-disciplined and compartmentalize you know um business life yeah i think that is i think that is a challenge when you run your own business because it can just start to blend together and is your workshop separate from your home is it in a separate place oh that is quite nice then i suppose because there's no temptation to go into another room and start making something or is that not really the case well, the thing is that with the pandemic, I did bring back a few things <laughs> because, uh, you know, you had to close down for you don't know how long. So, yeah, that can be a temptation sometimes. Yeah, I can see that, especially if you love what, they, what you do. And I can tell that, that you do. So we just have one final question to finish off, if that's okay, Catherine, which is one I ask mm-hmm. everybody. And that's, so what would your number one piece of advice be to someone else who wanted to start creating and selling products, whether that's jewellery or just anything that they're creating? You mean like taking the step to yeah, what move was, what, from... Yeah, or just, yeah, maybe making the step from moving from a corporate career to doing something creative. Just any advice you think that you would want someone to know or that you would like to have heard 16 years ago? Well, I don't really listen to people's advice, so I'm not a very good person. <laughs> but okay. So I would say um, you have to listen to yourself. Um, you are the only one who really knows exactly what it is that you want to do and why. And sometimes people who are going to give you advice are going to hinder your, um, wouldn't say your judgment, but they're going to put brakes to your, to you flying um, through. I don't know if, if that makes sense. I would say that sometimes if you're too reasonable, you're going to you know, try to tell her for the mass. But the thing is that everybody has a specific something special, which is not necessarily for everyone. And by being yourself and staying true to yourself, you're going to attract the people who are going to love what you really do. But if you try to not be yourself, you're not going to enjoy what you make anymore, what you're going to to try to do anymore and then it's going to take longer and it's, it's going to be boring but the other thing i would say is also do your math i see so many times people trying to make a living but their price are absolutely too small because they don't take into account their time they don't take into account you know everything that comes around like insurance and da 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 da, da. and i think that's if you really want to be serious about something, one, do something you love the way you want to, unless it's really <laughs> something that is not possible or not legal, I don't know. But, and um, make sure that you price it properly. You know, it's not a charity that you're running. I mean, price it properly. 
there's no I've, I've seen people who i don't know like knit a cardigan and they take i don't know seven days of eight hours so that's what 50 plus hours to make the cardigan and then they're going to study something like what 50 pounds and you think hang on does that even cover the price of the wool but i wouldn't you know make 50 hours of work for one pound per hour i mean yeah you have to make sure that you price it right yeah i think that's fantastic advice and i haven't actually thought of it like that but i guess you could in fact even set an hourly rate for yourself just so you know what you're aiming you for to. yeah is that how you tend to work would you do you do you know what an hour you don't have to tell me but do you know what an hour of your time is worth to you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the thing is that if you it's the only source of income that you have and you have to pay your rent your food your transport blah 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 you need to have make sure that you're going to have that coming in if it doesn't come in no food no house you know so even if let's say you have i don't know another significant uh, second who covers those bills what happens if that other person decides to go away and you still have to you know make a living you can't you can't sell something for one pound an hour 50p an hour that's that's i mean how can you have self-esteem you need to be proud of what you make you need to you know understand there is a difference between something that is handmade and something which is for made in a factory where people are not paid decently or where the price of the cost of living is very low you you you're not in the same category you can't you shouldn't compete with that yeah absolutely i think that's fantastic advice thank you no one has ever said that yet so i think it's good no it's good it's good i think that's i think that's good for people to hear and in fact yeah it's it's given me things to think about as well i think that's yeah that's really good advice because i think that it it probably is very easy to undersell yourself underprice yourself I'm sure that happens much more than the other way around. I don't know this for facts, but my instinct tells me that there are plenty of people who aren't charging enough for what they do. In fact, I've seen it myself. I've seen people selling things and I think, why do you sell them for this price? Because you could charge double that because they're really good. And I don't know, maybe it is a self-esteem thing partially. Uh, I think it's for your self-confidence thing, but I think that I've also heard that people have the syndrome of the imposter. They think they're not worth it or that nobody's ever going to pay that much for what they've done. And it's not true. I think that, yeah, I think I there think, are all I sorts think, of things. You know, when you love something, that's why you want to get it. You don't really look at the price. You try to justify the price in your head. Oh, I don't need another coat. Oh, gosh, should I? You know you want it. You just get it, whatever the price. I mean, or, or you're going to eat potatoes for a month and then you're going to go and get it. When somebody really wants something, they find a way. That's good. Thank you. And I think you're probably right that there's lots of mindset issues around pricing and underpricing a product and time as well. I think, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot in that. Yeah. Or if you, if it takes you 50 hours and um, you think people will not buy it, then do it in cashmere with, you know, some more noble materials. Add add diamond buttons, a bit of gold. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, don't undersell yourself. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Catherine.
So I'm going to put some links over in the show notes so people can go over to your website and take a look at, at your pieces, which are beautiful. And um, we'll also link to your social media and, and everywhere else so that everyone can come and find thank you. you. Okay. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you for the interview. It was really interesting. I enjoyed yeah. it as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Merci. As always, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Catherine and myself. I'd love to know what you think. You can email me vicky at tinychipmunk.com or you can find me on Instagram at Vicky Weinberg Product Creation. Remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you as always for being here and I look forward to talking to you again soon. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.